For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Good morning, everyone. So welcome. Um, for new people, I'm Tygen Layton, the guiding Dharma teacher at Ancient Dragon Zen Gate. I'm very happy to have with us giving the talk this morning, uh, Haksha Johan Oslin, who um, was here um, almost five years ago as a, a, a San Francisco Zen Center priest intern um, for about six months and helped us with forms and many things. Uh, Haksho is back now. Since then, he has been, uh, he was uh, Tanto or head of practice at Green Gulch Farm and at Tassajara Monastery. Haksho is now uh, living in Vermont in Brattleboro and starting a new uh, Zen group, which is wonderful and auspicious. So, Haksho, thank you for uh, coming back. Looking forward to your talk. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's such a joy to to be here and see some old familiar faces. Uh, uh, so many of you. Uh, yeah. Thank you. So I'm also glad to see some folks from uh, the folks from the Alberta Zen Center and elsewhere uh, popping in. I want to start by just yeah, thanking Tygen for inviting me to give this talk. It's really such a joy, uh, an honor. And I feel that the six months I spent at Ancient Dragon in 2016 is still, uh, I'm still benefiting from it uh, as I just recently started a small group here in Brattleboro. I feel like the time that I spent in um, a small non-residential, well, not so small, but a non-residential practice center outside of sort of the mother temple of San Francisco Zen Center has been uh, really rich for me. Uh, so, I also want to wish any fathers out there happy Father's Day um, today, and uh, also wish you all happy solstice. Um, as uh, somebody who's uh, from the Nordic country of Sweden, uh, where we have dark winters and bright summers, uh, summer solstice is kind of a big deal. Uh, it's it's really, I think, the biggest holiday uh, we celebrate. And uh, even though I think Christianity kind of tried to, like, similar to Christmas, sort of make it a Christian holiday, it never quite succeeded. Like, it's paid... Pagan roots are still very much there, which uh, I think is, uh, is healthy and fun. Um, so I think uh, part of what I want to do in, in this talk is to sort of, as we're celebrating this brightest day of the year, is to, um, to shine the light of our practice into as much of our uh, lives as possible, even the places where we uh, might be hesitant uh, to do so. 
to, it's my aspiration to encourage you to, uh, to turn the light around and shine it inwards. Our ancestor Dogen says, and I think also, uh, like yesterday was Juneteenth, uh, and this is now a federal holiday. And I think this sort of similarly, like, it's when we, you know, acknowledge. It's when we can start to acknowledge the pain and the suffering, uh, as well as to sort of honor the steps, however uh, small or you know how many more there might be, but the steps that have been taken to to try to end that suffering um, yeah when we can shine that light uh, it's, it's necessary for transformation and healing to occur mm. I want to uh, build this talk focus it around a, a teaching um, I received uh, during my first summer at Tassajara Zen Mountain Center as a student, uh, the abiding teacher there, Leslie James, uh, who's Tygen, has practiced intimately with as well. And um, I think some of you might know, uh, she started her first talk uh, over the summer season uh, with uh, just this sort of quote that has stuck with me since. Uh, she's framed Zen, Zen, Zen practice by saying, we are here to gain the capacity to stand to be who we are. Again, uh, we're here to gain the capacity to stand to be who we are. So I, it's a, it's a challenging proposition. Uh, and uh, I think for myself as a relatively new student, who had been kind of perplexed and confused by this Zen idea, no gaining idea, to practice with no gaining idea and what, what that might mean. And there was like, is there nothing to gain from practice? You know, what, what are the benefits here? Uh, uh, I think this was an attractive teaching in the extent that like, the, oh, there is something that we can gain from doing this practice. Uh, it's, but I heard stated. And that thing that we gain is just to stand to be ourselves, um, actually. So, so this is um, what I'd like to suggest for this morning, sort of propose that uh, a, a fundamental aspect of Zen Buddhist practice is to gain the capacity to stand to be who we are. Um, and I don't claim to have mastered this practice by any means. Um, this is not uh, it's something that I'm still, this is 11 years ago I heard this, and it's still something you know, that um, I'm, I'm challenged by, uh, keeps challenging me. Uh, I am... Uh, part of what I'm doing right now, I've been uh, a full-time grad student at the Institute of Buddhist Studies uh, in Berkeley, uh, doing it online. Uh, everything's been online because of the pandemic. I took a class with Taigen uh, this past semester. And uh, so just I, I just recently finished this 
project of writing uh, final papers for each of my four classes, which is uh, on a practical level, it was just about doable to get get something in that I feel feel like felt okay about trying to uh, my attempts to explain my understanding of, uh, of Buddhist history and practice and, and texts, etc. And um, on a practice level, uh, it's, it was really challenging to, to uh, what that was, that sort of pressure was bringing up uh, the practice of standing to be who I was uh, uh, was a little rocky at times. I am a major procrastinator, uh, which uh, can make grad school challenging and getting things done uh, before they have to be done. Uh, the paper for Tigan's class, I sent in two minutes uh, before it was due. <laughs> so... Uh, I, that's just to say I, I have not, I'm far from mastering this practice. I had to, uh, I, I think I learned some, uh, there's sort of the balance of getting things done and also to try to, uh, you know, include some standing who I am and, and seeing like the non best aspects of myself coming out in certain situations. Um, so, uh, but I think, what I'm learning and practicing is the more I practice, the more I come to have faith in this really being one of a fundamental aspect of Zen practice uh, to just stand to be ourselves. And I want to sort of contrast this, like, to stand to be who we are. We, we might think that the goal of our practice is to understand who we are. Uh, that sounds like that might be, right? And it's not, uh, it's not like understanding who we are isn't important, but I actually don't think it can happen if we can't stand ourselves first, uh, I'll say a bit more about this later, but I think my sense is that a, a more seasoned practitioner uh, may have a, generally a better understanding of himself than a novice uh, in some aspects. But it, but we have to first stand ourselves. Uh, it's like an understanding that's decoupled from sort of withstanding um, is actually... It ends up being, I believe it, just an empty narrative that we create to <clears throat> to say this is me, this is who I am, and try to build a self around. And then those narratives, they're not reliable because they tend to be built around our present mood. When we're feeling really good about ourselves, we have we create positive stories about ourselves. This is who I am. I feel, you know, what I did in the past, I feel really good about, and my future is looking pretty bright. And uh, and then when our mood changes uh, and darkens, uh, those narratives get challenged, and we can kind of might see through that that was just a story we were creating. It was not true understanding. Um, but often enough, we're, we're quite quick to create a much darker, you know, depressing story about how miserable we are in our life and it's probably going to be like that 
from now on. And, and you know, so we, we tend to fluctuate between these two. So, um, yeah. In the class I took with Taigen this semester was on uh, the awakening of faith in the Mahayana, a Chinese uh, Buddhist text that was really influential in the shaping of the Zen school. Uh, hasn't been so influential in Japan. Uh, like Buddhism went from China to Japan. It it's, wasn't as influential, but it, but it helped to shape Zen as a school. And uh, this is not one of the main themes in there, but I, I really appreciate uh, one of its teachings and in the text as well as in the commentary is, uh, is pointing out that to have to have hindsight about something is not to be awakened. It's it's quite different to you know, realizing a mistake, realizing that we've been caught in afflictive emotions after the fact is uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's good, but it's not actual awakening. We're already separate from the situation that occurred to some extent. And all that we have to access and practice with is what is going on uh, right here and right now. So... Also, in um, in meeting with Taigen over Zoom a couple of days ago and uh, just sort of going over the structure of this program a little bit and, and catching up, I was I was pleased to uh, find out that it still seems to be the practice at Ancient Dragon that when you give, which was the case when I was there five years ago, that when you give a talk, you get to suggest a chant for the service. Uh, so I, one of the perks is, is to make the suggestion for what what we're going to chant. So I, I was excited because that means uh, I'll get to chant the song of the grass roof hut, uh, which uh, isn't in the San Francisco Zen Center chant book. So I, my memory of chanting it is just from my time in, in Chicago. Uh, but when the Brattleboro Zen Center gets the chant book together, uh, we'll be chanting the song of the grass roof hut. Definitely. Uh, uh, and the, the line that uh, particularly uh, I particularly appreciate and uh, I feel resonates with the theme of this talk is uh, the concluding lines when uh, uh, Shito, our Chinese ancestor, says, if you want to know the undying person in the hut, uh, don't separate from this skin bag here and now. So if you want to awaken, if you're looking for a way out of suffering, uh, the, the path to get there is not separate from what's going on right here and right now. Uh, not separate from the skin bag. Uh, again, our practice is not to work with the past. Uh, there's some ways in which we can past can come alive in the present and we work with it. I, I missed the um, seminar yesterday uh, on being time and deep time. Uh, but I, I know we did some study on Dogen's fascicle on being time when I was in Chicago. And so this, uh, the, like the, 
the present and the future can also are not separate from the present. But so our our practice is to work with what is. Uh, Yeah, it's not to uh, not to tend, you know, tend to the past and create stories around that. It's we, we address the past as it arises in in the present. And it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, I I believe that the reason why our ancestor Shito admonishes us to not to separate from the skin bag here and now is because that is our deep human tendency to do exactly that, to, uh, to separate from the here and now from the present and to separate from this, this skin bag, this body, what's going on for us uh, physically to uh, sort of go to our head, create stories and narratives to, to which we can feel, think will protect us and make us feel safe and, and have a sense of a solid, and so this is me, this is who I am, but there's not, fortunately, the, the cost of that, that there's, we shut the door for um, deeper understanding and, and transformation to occur. Uh, and I think particularly for those of us who've grown up in a consumer society, we've been very much taught that I'm, I'm not enough. I'm, I'm needing, you know, all those projects, products out there in order to be, you know, maybe I will be enough then. So there's uh, been exposed to companies for decades who've been trying to make a profit of us not feeling uh, enough, not being able to stand who we are and sort of an overarching ideology that uh, underlies all of that too. Mm. So that makes Zen practice a radically countercultural practice. And uh, yeah, an incredibly challenging practice, but also an incredibly potent practice for us to engage in. Uh, shortly before, it was basically just before I was I came to Ancient Dragon. I was the Shiso, the head student at Tassahara, and one of the jobs of the head student is the every morning uh, for the ninety days for the three months you get up before everybody else uh, to run the wake up bell in the monastery to wake everybody up. So I. Uh, apart from being sick for a few days uh, when the Benji, my attendant, uh, stepped in, uh, I, I did this for 90 days. Uh, and one of the mornings, uh, I was really tired and confused, and I, I got up, I rang it. Uh, I caught myself before I'd quite gotten all the way, but I, I rang it 15 minutes too early. Uh, I thought I was late and I realized as I was running it that I was, I was early and uh, that just the horror of thinking like these 65 people in this valley who, <laughs> who are so deprived of sleep to deprive them 15 more minutes uh, was, was uh, terrifying. 
uh, I, uh, it was, I don't know, in the bright sort of crisp winter morning, just like, uh, yeah, it, it hit me so uh, strongly, uh, just the shame and embarrassment. And I could see how uh, the impetus just to, to create, just, just go to my head, just create stories. There was particularly like I was trying, you know, obsessively to uh, create, uh, you know, just a, a work meeting announcement. So like, it's like eight, ten hours later in the afternoon, when, which would be the first time really to talk to anybody. I was, if I could just apologize, say something in the right way. If I had that, like, that story, just that announcement perfect like maybe that would make me feel better that i could stand to be myself but it was so painful to be myself right then uh, and fortuitously and uh i was scheduled to give a dharma talk um a few days later and my topic was going to be uh focused around how uh, or practice of zasan really is a, a physical, a somatic practice, uh, a yogic uh, practice. Uh, my late uh, teacher Steve Stuckey used to say, uh, zasan is a yogic practice. So that had been what I was going to teach about. That really, like, uh, we need to pay attention to what's going on in our bodies. So uh, since that was what I'd been studying right then. And what I'd been thinking about, I felt better resource than usual to really try to return to my body and just feel getting caught in this narrative, uh, you know, and just mind thinking and separate and just coming back, just feeling the tightness in my chest, the shortness of breath, the heat in my torso and the little tingly sensation all over my body. And, it was what I found was that like those were all unpleasant, but they were they weren't torturous actually, uh, and yet there was something that was so hard to to stay with to stand like the emotions uh, of shame and embarrassment and uh, I think what it meant about about me. Uh, so, uh, however, I did feel that as I kept bringing myself back to my body, uh, like things started to settle a little bit. My heart started beating, you know, a little more, you know, approaching his normal rhythm. The breath got a little, breath got a little longer and so forth. Uh, and, and then, and then I realized I could use this for my talk. I can talk about this. I can share this experience and I can make it like this great, this Dharma teaching. Right. Uh, and <laughs> what happened then was uh, all of a sudden, like there was just sensations of, of joy and excitement and relief just streaming through my body. It just, and I actually found that those were, I, I couldn't stay with them. Like basically I like, trying to return to that. But at that point, there was just like, I just wanted to be in that bliss and the, the relief. So uh, it's not just what might seem painful. Uh, 
and troublesome and we're, the ways in which we, you know, come to judge ourselves and, you know, be harsh and talk harsh, harshly to ourselves that, that can be hard to stand. Like sometimes actually the, the joy and excitement, human connection and so forth can be even more difficult to stand. Uh, yeah, that's my belief. So this this phrase of Leslie's again, we're here to gain the capacity to stand to be who we are is I feel a very sort of succinct uh, encapsulation of Zen Buddhist practice. Uh, I've been reflecting on it in relation to some of Dogen's teachings in particular sort of his description of uh, Buddhist practice as from the Genjo Koan to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. And to forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. So I I would argue that in order to study ourselves, uh, we we have to first stand ourselves, actually. If we, if we can't stand being with the object of our study, it's, uh, it's not sustainable. Uh, so we have to develop some sort of our capacity to be, to be ourselves, to be who we are, to be less than who we would want to be and find ourselves there and still uh, can still honor our aspirations for and stay close to our vows of how we want to live uh, and uh, also to accept uh, that we're going to fall short. Uh, I was asked a couple of days ago by a Dharma friend uh, he uh, who's fairly recently come to practice and, and really finding it's, uh, it's so helpful in so many ways and was somewhat shocked to find like an, an old self just showing up like anger in a way that he hadn't seen since he'd really taken to the path of practice. Like, wow, that, that part of me is still there and just a little overwhelmed by it. And so his, uh, his question was basically uh, one way he phrased it. It's like, does the Dar- Dalai Lama get really pissed off? Does he ever get really pissed off? <laughs> But uh, yeah, this like d- does a seasoned practitioner get ever lose it? Uh, you know, another way to put the practice the question. Um, so I, I think my answer in light of this morning's talk is that I, I sort of I suspect I don't think we should expect to ever not get angry anymore or you know uh, fearful or jealous or sad or whatever Um, but I I think to the extent that we can stand those um, afflictive emotions as they arise we can embrace them even 
be with them, uh, study them. Uh, we also gain the capacity to uh, sort of notice their arising uh, much sooner when we're no longer, there's not an aspect of ourselves that we're trying to suppress and we want to get away from. We'll, we'll, we'll detect the little signs that anger is about to arise much, much sooner and um, and uh, we can learn how what is our own unique way for how to care for that emotion and tend to it. And, uh, yeah, there's that involves some skill and some, some discipline also who involves our vows and precepts and how to, uh, not harm when, you know, anger is, isn't destructive per se. It's just an emotion we need to be really careful of because we can do, great deal of harm with it but it's all can also be uh, channeled for for doing some real important work in the world uh, doing some justice work uh, I believe uh, dr martin luther king said something akin to our you know our nonviolent movement isn't about suppressing anger it's about disciplining it and challenge channel, channeling it for a maximum effect. Yeah. So I think that if we can stand the less flattering aspects of ourselves, then we can uh, also uh, sort of the, our, the, the choices that are available to us uh, will open up as well. Yeah. We can let our vials and precepts guide us. This is... Uh, Again, uh, another Dogen quote, although you're turned by things, you're also turning things. Uh, Tenso Kyokun. So uh, it it might seem that all that I've said so far is uh, is very self-focused, rather self-focused. Like, is this just standing to be who we are? Is that be all and all is that just practice it's it's so self-referential so and, and this is where i think uh these other couple of lines from the genjo koan are really helpful that like you know have to study the buddha ways to study the self right? so and then to to study the self is to forget the self uh, and to forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad things so you might think that this that the self, the person that we're, you know, trying to gain the capacity to stand to be who we are, is an individual. Um, um, but if the if the Dharma is correct, we're we're not separate from one another, from the world around us. Uh, so, and that is that truth is perhaps the most difficult truth to stand of all actually uh, because it's it is existentially challenging uh, to like to even consider not not being this individual with this story these narratives that I have created and built my whole life around uh, so there is uh, 
think to gain the capacity to stand to be who we are is also to gain the capacity to interbeing, uh, to not being separate individuals, uh, uh, to uh, see how we are uh, a creation of all the causes and conditions that have come together to, in this moment, uh, to create this uh, thing that we, for uh, convention's sake, call Hakusho. Um, and of course this this leads us into uh, Buddhist ethics too uh, right if we're not uh, if we're not separate individuals uh, well what we do to others will impact us too if if we harm others we were actually harming ourselves it's uh these uh like truths like moral injury and so forth it's not like limited to buddhist uh world view it's uh, it's been shown to be uh, something that exists for uh, you know, among veterans coming home from war etc there's like it's, it's the, the injury that you've done to others is, is harmful to us, right? So in order to stand to be who we are, um, it's, it's important to, again, uh, live by our precepts, uh, really try to live a life of not doing harm. And, and, and then when we, when we fail to, to see what we can do to, to repair and, uh, and part of that repair involves standing who we are as as the person who who just did cause somebody harm uh, unintentionally or intentionally, but uh, regretfully, hopefully in retrospect. So, what can what can we do to heal there? That is uh, that is part of the work of standing to be who we are. So just uh, the last thing I want to say is like, how, how do we do this? Uh, as I was trying to practice while writing these final papers and coming up against my own procrastinations, like, uh, it's like, what, 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 how do I stand to be who I am? I can say that, yes, that's our practice, but what's the, what qualities are needed uh, and in my own exploration, I think uh, it became a little clearer during this you know, last few weeks of my finals that uh, like the, the two qualities seem prevalent. Um, I think I've touched on them already in this talk, but one is softness and self-acceptance and self-compassion uh, to actually be, be gentle and kind with ourselves when we're less than we think we should be and we would like to be, etc. Um, so, and I think, I, th- I kind of think that's the first one, actually, when we're in that, like, oh, I can't stand this self. It's like softness. Yeah. Just be gentle with yourself. Uh, 
and, and then I, I think the other is um, is discipline. Uh, at least in my exploration of these, uh, getting these papers done and, and procrastinating, it's like uh, there's a, a disciplined approach to to prevent myself from getting into that funk. Uh, to really uh, tend to what I need to do, and, and uh, yeah, stay with my tasks and my intentions, and, and try to follow them through, etc. So I feel like. And of course, ethics is a part of uh, discipline too, uh, right? So, to the we try to uh, be intentional on in how we go about our lives and, and sort of staying with our uh, aspirations. And then when we fall off, I think it's like most of the time for me, I think discipline isn't the first quality right immediately there. We've got to sort of pick ourselves up and care for ourselves a little bit. And then like, okay, now you're not beating up on yourself anymore. Get on with the task. Uh, And so these two, I, I then realized these two uh, qualities of softness and, and discipline are, uh, this is very much uh, the definition of right effort. Uh, so, you know, part of the noble eightfold path uh, to be n- not too tight, not too loose. Uh, the metaphor of, uh, of tuning a lute, like you want to tune the string so uh, that you don't break it. You, you want it tight enough to get pleasant the kind of sound that you want uh, but not not pull it uh, not break it so I think this practice of gaining the capacity to stand to be who we are is also this just walking this middle way between uh, you know being kind and compassionate to ourselves knowing that we're deluded human beings that are going to make mistakes uh, who uh, can't live up to all of our aspirations uh, possibly um, sort of first accept that and then but then not give up still we we, uh, we keep keep walking the path and, and fall off and, and get up again So I, I th- that's that was what I was planning to share uh, with you all this morning. Um, so I, I wonder if there's any questions, comments, anybody uh, has. That's usually what happens, right? So thank you very much, Hakusho. Um It's wonderful for me to hear uh, this uh, teaching from Leslie James, who was one of my very important teachers early on when I was at San Francisco Zen Center. Uh, but it reminds me of something that uh, when I uh, did uh, my Dharma transmission with my teacher, Tenshin Reb Anderson, who is Hakusho's Dharma grandfather, uh, that uh, after three weeks at Tassajara, just as I was leaving and getting ready 
to go on the stage back to Jamesburg, Reb said to me, don't run away from yourself. <laughs> so another way of saying what Leslie said. So uh, I really appreciate your talk. It's great to have you back, Hawk Show. Uh, probably some uh, old friends want to say hello or have comments or responses to your talk. Uh, so for people who aren't visible on screen, you can go to the participants window um, and uh, there's a way to indicate uh, raise hands at the bottom, but also you can just raise your hand um, visibly on the screen. So comments, questions, responses for Hawk Show, please feel free. And Tygen, you want me to call on people? We'll call, I can on, call on people for you. Tygen and I yeah, can yeah. do it. Now, yeah, I see David Weiner, then Asian. Okay. David Weiner. David? Bakusho. <laughs> so good to see you. Um, good to see you, David. This is actually happenstance because uh, I have a great deal of stuff to to uh to work on today and i said no i'm gonna sit i'm gonna listen to the dharma talk and there you are (laughs) and how fortuitous so i just want to thank you for for your talk today and for all that we shared six years ago and it, it brings tears to my eyes to see you now so thank you very very much it's great to see you david thank you and good luck with stuff. Hawk Show stayed with David Weiner and his, uh, David Weiner uh, hosted Hawk Show during the six months that he was at Ancient Dragon. So uh, I'm glad you're here, David. David Ray, who was next? Asian is next. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Hakusho. It's so wonderful to see you again, and I hope you're well and enjoying New England, which is my home originally. Um, And your talk gave me a lot to think about. I especially liked how you differentiated um, coming to stand ourselves from coming to understand ourselves. I think it's also important to differentiate it from um, the idea that through practice, we're going to improve ourselves. Um, but but what I really want you to ask you to talk about a little bit, if you could, is how any any thoughts you have about ways that we can support each other as a sangha and as especially as a distant sangha in in this practice. Mm. I think in the like coming together, basically, like I think the answer is sangha to some extent. Like uh, we are, we are, are not individuals. We're not. Uh, we we are our relations. We're shaped by our relations. So one of the uh, programs I somewhat I, I I've had to adjust my practice. I've lived in San Francisco Zen Center for 14 years and uh, lived in community basically my whole life. And now I'm living with my spouse uh, and it's been, uh, I, I realized, I knew this already as Zen Center, but I'm kind of an introvert who really likes having people around. Uh, so 
I've had to, and also during a pandemic, to find some ways to build some relationships. Um, so one of those ways, I've, I've joined a men's group. Uh, we, we meet every other week, and it's uh, we just had our first meeting in person, actually, uh, a couple of days ago, and it was such a joy to, uh, to meet. And I, I felt, uh, it's, it's really sweet, actually, what... For me, as a somebody identifies and been conditioned as a male, uh, to to sit down uh, in a space and just the little invitation to uh, to not enact stereotypical male behavior, like let's out some sun. Sorry, got the windows open. It's a warm New England summer solstice day here. Uh, Anyway, just the, that invitation to not enact stereotypical male behavior is, is like, it's such a softness. And I feel it's, uh, it's becoming a really important place for me to uh, just, just be able to share the parts of myself that are a little hard to stand and, and feeling held and, and supported in that. So I think whatever ways there are uh, and uh, yeah, oh, distance is a limitation in some way, and 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 sometimes I'm also surprised at what can what's actually possible over Zoom. Um, there is a sort of yeah, it's been many times when I'm like I haven't expected to find intimacy, and but uh, rather than not connecting at all with folks, uh, I just have call with uh, I've started connecting with dear old Swedish friends from high school time uh, somehow the pandemic brought that out too sort of needing connection and, and, and it's been another source of, of support for me to as we're all figuring out sort of now middle age and what's uh, I don't know living in different sort of conditions and, and where we think we should be in our lives and where we are and so forth so I think yeah, uh, finding spaces to be vulnerable with one another is giving you a long, long answer here. But uh, where we, yeah, and and the relationships where we feel there is the capacity to to be vulnerable. Uh, yeah. Does that does that answer your question? That's that's a wonderful answer. I I um I think just the softness. You know, the the I I've known a number of people who have just started practicing since the pandemic started and have only maybe practiced over zoom. And, um, and, and so, you know, it's hard. I don't always know how to bridge the distance, um, with people, but, but just that, that bringing softness and compassion to an interaction, I think is, is so helpful. So thanks. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to ask, as a sangha that started during the pandemic, the Rattleboro Zen Center, how to build intimacy. Uh, oh, yeah. Over Zoom. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So I'll let you know. Find out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think the next hand raised is Dylan, and then I see Paul. Hello, Hakusho, old friend. Good to see you. I was just uh, I was I was really glad that you're coming to give the talk. 
uh, I was just telling Tygen the other day about, I don't know if you remember this, but that time when we just randomly ran into each other at the airport. Uh, do you remember that? Or like, I, the, yeah, where we like, we yeah. both, yeah, we were yeah. both at the airport and I was just like, oh, it's you. How are you? You know, um, uh, great talk. Some of that was uh, very, very helpful. Uh, or a lot of it was very what I needed to hear is basically what I'm trying to say. I wanted to ask if you could um, uh, maybe speak a little bit more about the the middle way between uh, studying the self and letting go of thought. This is a spot that I'm a little caught in right now of, um, you know, the uh, the the kind of seeing through delusion and incisiveness of like really this passion to, you know, uh, to, uh, get, get through delusion and, and meet reality that, and, and, and that, that energy of that. And then when does, when does that veer into, when is it time to just let go of, of thought, you know, and, and just, um, accept things as they are, and not try to overthink, you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of stuck in that spot now. Mm. Yeah. What comes to mind is I, I really love, uh, the teaching of Uchiyama Roshi, uh, opening the hand of thought, uh, to like, to hold our, you know, our thoughts, not like this, but they're, they're still, we're not trying to push them away. We're, but it, like we're not not grasping onto them, um, so that sort of zasan as a as a practice of opening that uh, hand of thought, uh, which is yeah, it, I think it's a lovely metaphor, and it's uh, another one of those like how do you do that? Like I I, I don't know that I have discovered some sort of like steps other than listening more, trying to listen at least as much, you know, more, uh, find, you know, trusting my body more than my mind. Uh, I think it's, uh, and sort of going to the body to check, to check out my thoughts. It's like, is that true? Uh, what's this doing? What's this thought? about XYZ doing, how is that working in my body right now? Yeah. My breath. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's great. And I'm, I'm glad you're in Vermont. I'm also, uh, you know, from New England originally, and Vermont is one of the most beautiful states I remember. So, uh, an auspicious spot to uh, start a Zen center. So uh, thank you. And, and I think you'll have, it'll be a great benefit for that spot. So thank you for being there. Thank you. Good to see you, Dylan. Um, oh, Paul, I think your hand was up. <clears throat> um, thank you very much, Dr. Uh, Joe. I, uh, we've walked many of the same mountains, but haven't run into each other as far as I remember. Um, Actually, we, we sat as, we sat as Sashin next to each other for a January intensive 
a few years ago, I think. At, at, at Green Gulch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, there, yes, it was. It was uh, not a not a not a time of intense interpersonal relationships. No, no, <laughs> a little corner, I think. <laughs> um, um, anyway, I'm very glad to see that you're continuing to turn the wheel. I think that's the most important thing that we could do, and I also am very glad to see that you have a firm understanding of the connection between Buddhism and materialism which I think is, as people that have heard me talk before, is our, our greatest challenge of the moment, uh, our, our great attachment to things and how that's bringing down the heavens on our, on our head. And um, just our last week's uh, lecturer was a man that was talking about this subject, and he, was, he recommended a uh, book by a, by a, Braz- by a Brazilian native uh, um, indigenous per- pe- uh, per- person living in the jungle who calls white people the people of the merchandise. Anyway, it's quite a wonderful book. I just, just started reading it. Um, anyway, uh, I, I, uh, I think that your point about, about um, standing to be yourself is, is, is an extremely important part of, of, our, of our Buddhist practice. Certainly, certainly a, a, a one, of the, one of the portals that you must go through in order to, to come up with to come up with some understanding of the way um i was always more impressed with categories talking about settling the self on the self uh i i'm just a little nervous about the idea of standing yourself having having still sort of a judge judgmental uh, ring to it mm. because if you you have to make friends with yourself as you as you say and making friends with yourself you have to give up judging yourself, and um, I just, I just makes me that, that 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 terminology makes me a little uncomfortable. But anyway, as long as, as long as it gets you, as long as it gets you there, that's great. And uh, I think I, uh, I thank you very much for your uh, for your persistence and your and your uh, and your 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 practice. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Um, I could show up. Well, I'll call on myself, and, and then I see David Weiner and, and, and Ruben. But thank you so much for your talk, and it's wonderful to meet you uh, here for the first time on Zoom. And uh, I continue to be amazed at how, how it's possible to feel warmth and, and connection on Zoom. Um, maybe it happens more for some people than, than others, but I hope that you know that that the Zoom arm or the whatever the Zoom vein of our you know of of our worldwide sangha you know stays open and and continues to flow and I think it will happen. Um, and it's wonderful that you talked about this line uh, from from Dogen about turning the illumination back within. Um, um, Hogetsu mentioned it on Thursday morning, and I know I must have read those words, but it but I really hadn't. You know, they, they they hadn't they hadn't popped for me in a way to make me think about them. So I, I've uh, for the last few days I've been sitting with this question of what this could mean to turn the illumination inside. It's a weird it's a weird image, right? I mean, it it, it sounds as though it means that I've got this you know minor spotlight on my forehead and I'm supposed to turn my whole head inside out. And part of my question then is, well, what what's the illumination? Is that an illumination that's it's getting trained on the outside world or what, 
what, what's the illumination that I that I would turn in inside inside out? Is is it is the, the the great the great brightness or or some other thing? Oh, I, where does the light come from? Yeah. Is that what, what, what illumination am I turning inside when I when I when I do that? I think Buddha nature might be one answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, little yeah, or, or just the the light of our practice. Uh, As we we practice, and uh, there is uh, sort of a light that shows, shines through from that, or you know, or, yeah, it's maybe it's it's our Buddha nature shining forth, and, and by sitting zasan, we uh, it can help to uh, let that light shine forth. Uh, Thank you. I mean, maybe maybe part of my problem is that I'm thinking of it as something that, that I'm that I'm doing when I'm not when I'm not turning you know the the the, the light inward. But th- thank you, thank you very much for that. Um, so now I'm losing count. Maybe um, Tygen's hand. Well, Ruben, your hand was up. Is that right? And then Tygen, or Tygen is was yours a follow up? And I see Drew also. Tygen, I think you might be muted. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I was muted. Uh, yes, I think Ruben and then David Weiner had his hand up, and then I'm at, then I'm next after that. Okay. Thank you, Akisho. It's so good to see you. Yeah, uh, good to see you. Too. <laughs> As a somebody with a very strong judgmental inner voice, like learning capacity to, to stand myself rings very strongly. Uh, as another way of saying appreciate myself, appreciate this life. Like it's like ah, yeah, there it is. So thank you. Thank you for bringing her here today. Um, man, when you uh, talked about the bell ringing, <laughs> my entire body flushed for you. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my. Oh, oh, oh. And uh, it made me think of an early teaching um, that I was given about how to appreciate all the mistakes I've made getting here because they, they, they help. I can then help somebody else. Right. And, uh, I don't think I've ever appreciated it in real time like you did. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking forward to maybe that happening someday. <laughs> so I want to say thank you. Thank you for that example. Um, and if that happens for you regularly, I would love to hear about it. <laughs> maybe the fact that I pulled an example from five years ago means that it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see you. I will be pleasantly surprised to find you here. I think David Weiner is next. Tegan, I already spoke. If you want to say something, you know, go ahead. I, I, I can wait. Somebody else. Well, okay. Just uh, I, partly I was going to respond to David Ray that one way I understand turning the light, uh, turning the light within is the light of our attention. So when we, we usually looking are looking out at all those objects you know the merchandise that we want to consume um, and all the other th- things that things so-called things people and and entities that we objectify but when we tr- take the backward step and turn the light within we're p- paying attention to the self 
and how how it feels physically, somatically, as Hakshaw said, and also just thoughts coming and going. So that's one response to that to David's question. But I wanted to go back to the story of of uh, Hakshaw ringing the bell late. There's a story about Suzuki Roshi. I don't know if you were there, Paul, but this was something that happened at City Center. And one time, the wake-up bell, not just 10 minutes or 15 minutes, but it was like 30 or 40 minutes early. And everybody went to the Zendo and then realized that, that it was early. And, and they went back to their rooms. Meanwhile, Suzuki Roshi was there. And, uh, and all the other people had gone, gone back to sleep. When they finally came down, for the next period, Suzuki Roshi went around at, to every single person and hit them hard with his kyusaku. And uh, so that's the story. But the, the lesson is that we should accept our mistakes. Uh, if you make a mistake with the time, well, that's, that's what, that's, you know, that's where we are. We don't try and fix things. So anyway, I just, I was reminded of that story uh, when you were talking about your <laughs> ringing the wake up bell early. So thank you. Thank you. I think Paul has a follow up on that. Yes. I just wanted to add to the wake up bell. If you, if, if you were being a really good shuso, you should have rung the wake up bell early and given everybody a chance to be, to deal with it and see <laughs> what is this thing that I'm, 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 I'm so tied up with just getting up at a certain time. The bell rings, you get up. That's it. There's no other question. So it would have been a great teaching. You should have you should have gone ahead and rung it early. It would have been wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, Jerry. It's good to see you. I remember being at the um, camping shishim with you. That lovely shishim when our the wind came and blew down our zendo and wrapped around a tree, and we sat for the rest of the time with bugs everywhere. Actually, I, I was there the year before when it didn't blow down. Oh, I thought you missed the fun then. <laughs> um, thank you very much for your talk. I was interested in when you talk about um, standing yourself and being able to recognize emotions you don't necessarily like. But what I'm interested in, and if you could say more about it, is your comment about that we can learn to take care and tend to those emotions. And, and I wanted to know, did you have any like advice of, of, of how to go about that or to think about that and to stay with the emotion somehow long enough to, to take care of it or to tend to it in some way? Yeah, a lot of it is tending to it in our body. Uh, Our mind is, it's when it's a strong emotion that our mind tends to create stories that sort of keep perpetuating the emotion and and we can stay with the physical to the extent we can stay with the physical sensations. Uh, You know, it's not going to keep perpetuating itself. Uh, I had, uh, I guess I, I do have an, another example that's less than five years old too. 
uh, which is being in school. Uh, this is another one of those where I was surprised at how uh, intimacy of Zoom actually, but to, I was taking a class in um, Buddhist pastoral care. And uh, one exercise was a uh, listening exercise for, uh, I would spend 45 minutes mostly listening to, to this person in my class sharing uh, whatever she wanted to share. Um, her, what she was sharing was about her work um, in the hospital as a chaplain and uh, uh, part of it uh, stirred up some, some trauma in me. Uh, it was about victims from a traffic accident and um, um, my family and I were in a traffic accident uh, while I was eight. So I, I could feel the emotions stirring up in that, um, that hearing. And, and what I found like was up, up until then, I'd sort of been listening with my ear and my consciousness and, and empathically. And uh, I needed to pull on all my resources to listen like with my full self, uh, including my body. So it was actually more of my awareness, my attention was going to my body. Uh, and, and with that, I felt kind of capable of staying with her as well, of sharing how this had been challenging for her too. Um, so, uh, whereas if, I, I, yeah, without bringing my body in, I neither would I have been able to care for the person in front of me or my own uh, emotions actually. It's it's one of those. It's easy to say, and it's it's uh, it's difficult to do. But I, it's my faith. It's what I have to share. I think it's my faith. That's like, do not separate from the skin bag here and now. Thank you. That's very helpful. David Weiner. Thank you. Thank you, uh, David. Um, Something, you know, what I really appreciate Hakusho today is, you know, that line of having the strength to stand yourself. Um, probably like many other people, uh, I came to Zen because I was in pain and I felt I had to improve myself. I had to change my life. Um, and I have a tendency to be compulsive. And that's because of, uh, quite honestly, low self-esteem. You know, I got to come out and prove how good I am because the way I was raised, I was taught I was never good enough. Um, And uh, that line about being able to stand yourself, I think it's just so important that, that our practice isn't about improving, but about just sitting with ourselves. And uh, not long ago, Hogetsu gave a, uh, a talk on a Thursday morning, and she said, whatever that part of you, that the part that you're not happy with, invite it to sit next to you. Invite it to be your friend and be with you, rather than trying to push it away and erase it, but just to embrace it 
and and let that be. And that really had a profound effect upon me, and it's changed me and uh, and, and the way I practice. And now being a graduate student at Loyola to get a Master's of Divinity, I'm reading all these religions and just recently read Rabbi Lawrence Kushner uh, talking about Judaism, which was really interesting in so many relationships to Buddhism in, in a way. He talks about the water, the drop of water being the ocean and not separate from the ocean. And the waves are also part of the ocean, but they're not the only part of the ocean. Um, it just felt so Buddhist to me. And uh, the biggest thing that I'm getting from this is that often in, in, uh, in religion, we, lo- we look for something to explain the mystery. You know, we don't understand what's going on, so we try to find an explanation, and we turn to religion, uh, to God, in the sense, at least that's what I'm picking up from uh, my studies at, at school. And the thing that's different about Buddhism is that we run to the mystery. We don't try to explain it, but run to it and accept it and be with it. And your talk today about being able to stand yourself is just a very, very strong reminder to me uh, about that's what practice is, at least from my point of view, what practice is. And I greatly appreciate, greatly appreciate you bringing that up. So thank you very much. I think Michael's Michael's Yeah. Hi, Michael. Hi, everybody. Uh, hockey shows. It's so wonderful to see you. Um, really glad to hear your talk. And I, uh, I feel just such a, an essential support for practice, uh, just being in your presence. Um, um, and I, I guess one of the things I was thinking about was, um, you know, discipline can be kind of a challenge for me. And I, I just wanted to say that, you know, I, I learned a lot from you about form and practice during your time, uh, at ancient dragon and of course at Tassajara. Um, and it's something that I've always been really engaged with and, and enjoyed. And that was important to me about Zen practice, uh, studying form. And, um, but there's, I'm just, you know, it's, as it's something that's been a challenge to me, I'm reminded and that I really get a sense of from you is, and that I, I think that happened, you know, from, uh, my time with you is that it's just to understand these forms as, uh, something that I, I want to do, that I want to be engaged with something that is, uh, a relationship and an expression, you know, that, so that discipline isn't just, um, you know, something that I, I have to do because, you know, when I don't want to do it, but that, uh, that it is the, um, the awakening. It is the, the myriad things that, you know, it's a, a moment to express that realization, uh, 
And anyway, I just, I appreciate you so much and I'm so glad that, to see you. And Thank you. I, I couldn't have said it better myself, Michael. And thank you really hit the nail on the head there. If, there, if there's anybody else who has a comment or response or question for Hakusho, uh, we could take one more um, before we do the song on the grass hut. And Hakusho, I just wanted to mention there's somebody else here from Sweden. Eva is in Sweden right now, so <laughs> there's a connection there. But we have people from California and obviously from Vermont and uh, probably yeah. other places anyway. Uh, and it looks like we have someone from the big island of Hawaii as well, Kayum. And Eva's hand is up. Eva. Yes. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, yeah. So I'm the one from Sweden. So, <laughs> And I did have a question about that uh, for you. Um, I was wondering how you think that changing cultures has affected your practice. Do you think it has illuminated practice or has it been challenging in a good or bad way? Well, good question. I think it's, I think it's changed. I, I've lived most of my adult life, pretty much all my adult life outside of Sweden. And, uh, uh, and it's been enriching in many ways to get to see different cultures. Um, I left Sweden when I was 19, I came back for college, but then I left again and I came to the States when I was 27. So I, I had some years in some other places too. And, uh, for me, it was incredibly enriching and helping to find, I, especially as a Swede who uh, Swedes tend to be very kind of norm, you know, it's a norm-based society. And I think I, uh, I grew up feeling quite constricted by what was sort of acceptable behavior and not. So I found engaging in other cultures, which, you know, had less of different norms to be liberating. Uh, that's one aspect for sure. Uh, I also felt in my early years in the U S to be, somewhat alienating because uh, uh, I found sort of so easy to, I felt caught by the sort of people's projections and the stereotypical ideas about what a Swede is. Uh, and and a lot of Americans don't know a lot about Sweden. So it's like, it's kind of a slim, uh, I felt myself a little box. And I think as I, part of taking my, Dharma name, Hakusho, was actually to to sort of explore not having the same conversation over and over again. I was like, oh, your name is Iwan. Where are you from? You're from Sweden. Oh, do you like Abba? <laughs> so uh, I think as, as I've lived here longer, I, I've gotten more sort of comfortable with, I don't know, to sort of stand to be the uh, the alien uh, to some extent. And I, I can play with it a little more. I can play with people's stereotypes. And uh, I, I feel... I've also gained a better understanding of of my own culture. Uh, 
and uh, and how I am a creation of it. I think that's sort of a, a helpful basis from which to engage. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I agree. Yeah. Thank you. It was a wonderful talk, by the way. Oh, thank you. Glad me summer. Glad me summer. Thank you so much for that question, Eva, and, and your response, Aksha. Uh, anything else before we do the song of the grass hut? Anyone else? Okay, David, uh, let's uh, not separate from the skin bag here and now. Yes, yes. I will um, first make sure that everyone is muted so that we can sing so that we can chant together, paradoxically. And then I will share the screen. We'll chant the repentance verse three times, then the, then the song of the grass hut. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion Born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma, from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma, from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. Song of the grass hut. I've built a grass hut where there's nothing of value. After eating, I relax and enjoy a nap. When it was completed, fresh weeds appeared. Now it's been lived in, covered by weeds. The person in the hut lives here calmly, not stuck to inside, outside, or in between. Places worldly people live, he doesn't live. Realms worldly people love, she doesn't love. Though the hut is small, it includes the entire world. In ten feet square, an old man illumines forms and their nature. A Mahayana Bodhisattva trusts without doubt. The middling or lowly can't help wondering, will this hut perish or not? Perishable or not, the original master is present. Not dwelling south or north, east or west. Firmly based on steadiness, it can't be surpassed. A shining window below the green pines. Jade palaces or vermilion towers can't compare with it. Just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. Thus this mountain monk doesn't understand at all. Living here, he no longer works to get free. Who would proudly arrange seats trying to entice guests? Turn around the light to shine within, then just return. The vast inconceivable source can't be faced or turned away from. Meet the ancestral teachers, be familiar with their instructions. Bind grasses to build a hut and don't give up. 
Let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. Open your hands and walk innocent. Thousands of words, myriad interpretations are only to free you from obstructions. If you want to know the undying person in the hut, don't separate from this skin bag here and now. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness, we have chanted the song of the grass hut. We dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha, our first woman ancestor, great teacher Maha Prajapati, our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma, our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Eihei Dogen, our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shunryu, the perfect wisdom Bodhisattva Manjushri Sanghas. Gratefully we offer this virtue to all beings, all Buddhas throughout space and time. All honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, mahaprajna paramita.